ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯ ನಾರಾಯಣ ನಮಸ್ಕೃತ ನರಂಚೈವನರೋತ್ತಮ ದೇವೀಂ ಸರಸ್ವತೀಂ ವ್ಯಾಸ ತಯಮುದೀರಯರ್ ನಷ್ಟಪ್ರಾಯಶಭದ್ರೇಶ ಭಗವತೀತ್ತಮಶ್ಲೋಕೆ ಭಕ್ತಿರ್ಭವತಿ ನೈಷ್ಟಿಕೆ ರೀಡಿಂಗ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಶ್ರೀಮದ್ ಭಾಗವತ ಕ್ಯಾಂಟೋ ಒನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ತರ್ಟೀನ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ತರ್ಟೀನ್ ಇಸ್ ಎಂಟೈಟಲ್ ಧೃತರಾಷ್ಟ್ರ ಕ್ವಿಟ್ಸ್ ಹೋಮ್ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ನಂಬರ್ ಏಟ್ ಯುಧಿಷ್ಠಿರ ಉಚ ಅಮರಥ ನೋ ಯುಷ್ಮತ್ ಅಮರಥ ನೋ ಯುಷ್ಮತ್ ಅಮರಥ ನೋ ಯುಷ್ಮತ್ ಪಕ್ಷ ಛಾಯಾ ಸಮೇಧಿತಾನ್ ಪಕ್ಷಛಾಯಾ ಸಮೇಧಿತಾನ್ ಪಕ್ಷಛಾಯಾ ಸಮೇಧಿತಾನ್ ವಿಪದ್ಗಣಾತ್ ವಿಷ ಅಗ್ನಿ ಆದೇ ವಿಪದ್ಗಣಾತ್ವಿಷಾಜ್ಞಾಚಿತೃಕಾ ಮೋಚಿತಾಯತ್ಸಮಾತೃಕಾಧಿಷ್ಠಿರವಾಚಿಸ್ಮರಥನೋ ಯುಷ್ಮನ್ ಪಕ್ಷಛಾಯಾಸಮೇಧಿತಾನ್ ವಿಪದ್ಗಣಾತ್ವಿಷಾಜ್ಞಾರ್ ಮೋಚಿತಾಯತ್ಸಮಾತೃಕಾಧಿಷ್ಠಿರವಾಚಿಸ್ಮರಥನೋ ಯುಷ್ಮನ್ ಪಕ್ಷಛಾಯಾಸಮೇಧಿತಾನ್ ವಿಪದ್ಗಣಾತ್ವಿಷಾಜ್ಞಾರ್ ಮೋಚಿತಾಯತ್ಸಮಾತೃಕಾ ಯುಧಿಷ್ಠಿರ ಉಚ ಮಹಾರಾಜ ಯುಧಿಷ್ಠಿರ ಸೈಡ್ ಅಪಿ ವೇದ ಸ್ಮರಥ ಯು ರಿಮೆಂಬರ್ ನಹ ಅಸ್ ಯುಷ್ಮತ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಯು ಪಕ್ಷ ಪಾರ್ಶಿಯಾಲಿಟಿ ಟುವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಅಸ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದ ವಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಎ ಬರ್ಡ್ ಛಾಯಾ ಪ್ರೊಟೆಕ್ಷನ್ ಸಮೇಧಿತಾನ್ 
we who were brought up by you vipad ganat from various types of calamities visha by administration of poison agniyade by setting on fire mochitaha released from yet what you have done sa along with matrikaha our mother translation and purport by his divine grace ac bhakti vedanta swami propat translation maharaj yudhishthira said my uncle do you remember how you always protected us along with our mother from all sorts of calamities your partiality like the wings of a bird saved us from poisoning and arson purport by shrila prabhupad due to pandu's death at an early age his minor children and widow were the object of special care by all elderly members of the family especially bhishma deva and mahatma vidura vidura was more or less partial to the pandavas due to their political position although dhritarashtra was equally careful for the minor children of maharaj pandu he was one of the intriguing parties who wanted to wash away the descendants of pandu and replace them by raising his own sons to become the rulers of the kingdom mahatma vidra could follow this intrigue of dhritarashtra and company and therefore even though he was a faithful servitor of his eldest brother dhritarashtra he did not like his political ambition for the sake of his own sons he was therefore very careful about the protection of the pandavas and their widow mother thus he was so to speak partial to the pandavas preferring them to the sons of dhritarashtra although both of them were equally affectionate in his ordinary eyes he was equally affectionate to both the camps of the nephews in the sense that he always chastised duryodhana for his intriguing policy against his cousins he always criticized his elder brother for his policy of encouragement to his sons and at the same time he was always alert in giving special protection to the pandavas all these different activities of vidura within the palace politics made him well known as partial to the pandavas mahat maharaj yudhishthira has referred to the past history of vidura before his going away from home for a prolonged pilgrims journey maharaj yudhishthira reminded him that he was equally kind and partial to his grown up nephews even after the battle of kurukshetra a great family disaster Before the battle of Kurukshetra Dhritarashtra's policy was peaceful annihilation of his nephews and therefore he ordered Purochana to build a house at Varanavata and when the building was finished Dhritarashtra desired that his brother's family live there for some time when the Pandavas were going there in the presence of all the members of the royal family 
Vidura tactfully gave instructions to the Pandavas about the future plan of Dhritarashtra. This is specifically described in the Mahabharata, Adi Parva 114. He indirectly hinted, a weapon not made of steel or any other material element can be more than sharp to kill an enemy, and he who knows this is never killed. That is to say, he hinted that the party of the Pandavas was being sent to Varanavata to be killed, and thus he warned Yudhishthira to be very careful in their new residential palace. He also gave indications of fire and said that fire cannot extinguish the soul but can annihilate the material body. But one who protects the soul can live. Kunti could not follow such indirect conversations between Maharaj Yudhishthira and Vidura. And thus when she inquired from her son about the purport of the conversation, Yudhishthira replied that from the talks of Vidura it was understood that there was a hint of fire in the house where they were proceeding. Later on, Vidura came in disguise to the Pandavas and informed them that the housekeeper was going to set fire to the house on the 14th night of the waning moon. It was an intrigue of Dhritarashtra that the Pandavas might die altogether with their mother. And by his warning, the Pandavas escaped through a tunnel underneath the earth so that their escape was also unknown to Dhritarashtra. So much so that after setting the fire, the Kauravas were so certain of the death to the Pandavas that Dhritarashtra performed the last rites of death with great cheerfulness. And during the mourning period, all the members of the palace became overwhelmed with lamentation. But Vidura did not become so because of his knowledge that the Pandavas were alive somewhere. There are many such instances of calamities and in each of them Vidura gave protection to the Pandavas on one hand and on the other he tried to restrain his brother Dhritarashtra from such interviewing politics, policies. Therefore, he was always partial to the Pandavas just as a bird protects its eggs by its wings. Thus ends the Bhakti Vilanta purport. So this chapter, Dhritarashtra quits home, uh, very nicely describes <clears throat> Vidura returning after a long pilgrimage to Hastinapura, the palace of Yudhishthira Maharaj. This was after the battle of Kurukshetra. And Vidura has come to deliver his brother Dhritarashtra. This is the uh, compassion a devotee shows to somebody who is in ignorance, somebody who is entangled, somebody who is uh, completely uh, oblivious of the ultimate spiritual goal of life. Vidura was a true well-wisher of Dhritarashtra. 
even though Vidura used to give advice to Dhritarashtra which seemed like Vidura was partial to the Pandavas but still he was a true well-wisher of Dhritarashtra and that is very evident in this chapter that finally Dhritarashtra was delivered because of the specific uh, uh, instructions given by Vidura to Dhritarashtra how Dhritarashtra should actually prepare for the end of his life. So now the description is being given that Vidura has come to the palace after traveling on pilgrimage. So in the third canto it will be described during pilgrimage where all he visited and most importantly Vidura made inquiries from Maitreya Rishi in Badrikashrama. He went to all the holy places of pilgrimage and he was searching for uh, hearing Krishna Katha topics about Krishna from the Krishna realized soul. So Vidura is setting an example for all of us that uh, everyone should be actually uh, very much keen on hearing Krishna Katha from somebody who has realized Krishna. This way it is very easy to become Krishna conscious and to prepare for quitting the body in Krishna consciousness to achieve the highest perfection of going back to Krishna at the end of this life. So Vidura has come after the pilgrimage and uh, it is described in the previous few verses of this chapter that Vidura stopped inquiring when he became uh, established in transcendental loving service to Lord Krishna by becoming enlightened by hearing from Maitreya Rishi about Krishna. Then Vidura considered the fact that Dhritarashtra was still alive even though all his sons died in the battle of Kurukshetra. So he was very much grief stricken that he lost all his sons. All his plans for uh, enthroning his own sons while he was the caretaker king were completely uh, spoiled. He tried in so many ways to uh, silently kill the Pandavas when he was, when the Pandavas were young. So this uh, history is being remembered by Yudhishthira when Yudhishthira welcomed Vidura to the palace. 
So Yudhishthira is mentioning to Vidura, my uncle, do you remember how you always protected us along with our mother from all sorts of calamities? The Pandavas had to face so many calamities. This is called palace politics. This existed even in the previous yugas. It is uh, human nature. Especially conditioned souls in this material world who are desirous of enjoying materially, who desire to lord over this material world, hmm, they always are looking for different ways and means uh, to uh, get money, to get power, to get uh, some position, to become uh, influencers of others, simply to control others for the sake of exploiting others for their own sense gratification. This is a whole uh, program of conditioned souls in this material world. So much so that such uh, uh, a mentality prevails even among pious souls who are residing in the upper planets. Even Indra, who is very, very pious, Indra is famous as Shatakratu. He is famous for having performed 100 Ashwamedha Yajnas. To perform one Ashwamedha Yajna is so difficult. So many arrangements have to be made. Elaborate arrangements. Hmm? Ashwamedha Yajna involves a horse to be sacrificed in a proper uh, sacrificial fire. Now the specifications for such a sacrifice to be performed given in the scriptures are very stringent. The king who wants to perform this Ashwamedha Yajna has to first of all find a qualified suitable Brahmana priest, not one priest, there are going to be a whole team of priests. Uh, and they should be qualified, they should be willing to guide the king to perform this yajna. Then the king has to search for a suitable horse. It can't be any horse that is simply uh, offered in sacrifice. It has to be a suitable horse. So finding the sacrificial horse with all those conditions is itself very, very, very difficult. And then arrangement for the sacrifice itself. Elaborate arrangements have to be made. So after finding the qualified Brahmana priests, Brahmanas don't easily agree uh, to perform a sacrifice because in such a sacrifice, they should be able to chant the mantras in such a way that the animal being sacrificed is promoted 
to a higher birth generally the animal is directly promoted to get a human birth in very rare cases the animal is completely delivered from material existence so that should be the power of chanting the mantra by the brahmanas in the least uh, uh, the least benefit that animal being sacrificed should get is that it should get a human birth so to be able to chant the mantras in such a way that the animal in that the soul in the animal's body which is being sacrificed is purified of all past reactions so that there is no impediment for that soul to get immediately a human birth without having to perform a wait for such a human birth generally when a soul degrades into an animal body or a lower life form it is because of so many grievous sinful activities so until all those sinful reactions are suffered by the soul in different types of species different types of uh, bodies until one gets the human form gradually progressing from lower life forms to higher life forms this is a complete science of the uh, movement of the living entity through different species this is described in the third canto in some detail by lord kapila in his instructions to mother devahuti so a priest who is able to chant the mantras to uh the uh in that sacrifice where the animal is being sacrificed that soul in the animal's body gets a human form immediately on actually uh, being killed and the uh, the animal itself the the animal's body being offered in sacrifice in sacrificial fire the soul is directly promoted to the human form in the least benefit that the soul can get can even get promoted to a higher form than a human being and the best is that the soul goes back to godhead so such a brahmana priest to find is not easy even in the former times not all brahmanas were uh, so qualified there were brahmanas with different qualifications hmm, at different levels so to find a qualified brahmana and then the brahmana should be willing to take some karma that is involved in such a sacrificial performance because the performer of the sacrifice the yajaman like the king he has to actually purify himself of his uh, reactions in such a sacrificial ceremony so
So where will the reactions go? Some of the reactions will be accepted by the priest who is willing to take such reactions because of his tapas shakti, his power of austerity. He is able to completely nullify such reactions which accrue uh, from the yajaman getting purified. See, the laws of nature are very, very, very stringent. Whatever action anybody performs, especially in the human form of life, every action is to be accounted. There is a specific reaction for every action. Only activities done in devotional service, there is no reaction whatsoever. On the other hand, devotional service guarantees that our Reactions from the past will be burnt away to ashes. Karmani nirdhati kintu cha bhakti bhajam. In the Brahma Samhita it is said, one who performs devotional service, practices bhakti yoga, the reactions to the activities performed in the past, before accepting the path of devotional service, whatever reactions were there, are burnt away to ashes. It's only possible through devotional service. To a small extent, some of the reactions can be nullified by performing different types of tapasya. If a king himself performs tapasya, anybody performs tapasya personally, then they can nullify some of the reactions without having to undergo suffering due to those reactions in future lives. But when somebody performs bhakti, bhakti yoga, then very quickly all the reactions can be completely nullified. So, in the scriptures, there is clear description of two paths of elevation to achieve ultimate perfection or ultimate goal of life. There is the gradual path of elevation to the highest level of perfection and there is the direct, quick uh, uh, path. So, the gradual path is the non-devotional path. In the non-devotional path, first of all, one, a person, a soul who has got human form of life, learns to discriminate between sinful activities and pious activities. Discriminating between sinful activities and pious activities, one abstains from sinful activities, understanding that sinful activities are the cause of all suffering. Then one performs only pious activities. But still, every conditioned soul has got some desire for material enjoyment. So, in the gradual path of advancement, one abstains from sinful activities but performs pious activities for getting some material gain or material pleasure or material benefit. 
But as one goes on performing pious activities for some material benefit or material gain or material happiness, one realizes that material happiness or material gain ultimately is not satisfying the soul, the real self. So then when one makes inquiries, how can I get inner satisfaction? How can I get lasting happiness? Then one becomes inquisitive to understand the real truth about the self beyond simply performing some pious activities to avoid some suffering and enjoy some material gain or material benefits. That is when one is promoted from the platform of karma to the platform of jnana. The platform of karma is to discriminate between sinful activities and pious activities, avoid sinful activities and only perform pious activities. Uh, the Vedas have got this section called Karmakanda section which describes in great detail for any type of material desire a human being can have what is the particular pious activity one should perform to get that material benefit, specific material benefit. With the aim of people being restrained from sinful activities in order to enjoy life. That is the aim of Karmakanda section of the Vedas. To encourage people to avoid sinful activities. So this is the civilized way of human form of life. That civilized people uh, generally have got the inclination to follow rules and regulations, avoid sinful activities and thereby avoid lot of different types of punishment or suffering due to the stringent laws of nature and perform only pious activities. And even if they are interested in some specific material benefit, they want to get that benefit only through performing pious activities. However long it may take, however difficult it may be. So they are inclined to perform all kinds of sacrifice, yajna, dana, tapa. Give all kinds of charity or perform different kinds of vrata, austerities. But the aim is how to get material enjoyment, material pleasure, material uh, benefits, material posi uh, position, a materially beneficial position. Uh, but in course of time, a intelligent person, a thoughtful person, a conscientious person realizes that any amount of such pious activities is not going to give me the real happiness, inner happiness, inner satisfaction. Uh, and that gives rise to the quest for knowledge. Knowledge beyond ordinary understanding of uh, pious and uh, sinful actions, etc. So, this is the impetus for people to inquire into the nature of the self into spiritual inquiry. This is where spiritual inquiry begins. 
when one comes to the platform of jnana but jnana also merely trying to find out what is uh, the truth about this world who am i why am i not getting my real satisfaction or happiness even after performing only pious activities what more is required to be done to get real happiness so this inquiry is called brahma jignasa or tatva jignasa the bhagavatam begins with that bhagavatam says that jivasya tatva jignasa the only business of a human being is to inquire into the absolute truth in the vedanta philosophy also presented by vyasadeva he says athato brahma jignasa now that you got a human form of life simply be concerned about what is the absolute truth that's the only business of a human being nothing else narto yascheha karma bihi whatever actions one performs the aim should be to realize the absolute truth and nothing else should be the aim of life so in the bhagavatam even in the bhagavad gita krishna says vedaischa sarvair ahameva vedyam in the third chapter he says the importance of following vedic directions and in the uh, 15th chapter he says the goal of all vedas the goal of all vedic sacrifices or vedic study or vedic uh, austerities recommended in the vedas methods of charity recommended in the vedas ultimately is to know krishna because krishna is the absolute truth so the same goal is mentioned in the vedanta sutra is mentioned in the uh, bhagavatam is mentioned in the bhagavad gita in all the confidential literature the goal is described as the absolute truth or krishna but those who are not following the process of bhakti for them to realize this ultimate goal as the supreme absolute truth krishna takes a long time as i was telling one comes from the platform of karma to jnana jnana platform what happens one realizes that i am not this body i am spirit soul the nature of the absolute truth is also something spiritual and i belong to that nature spiritual nature i don't belong to this material nature so therefore one tries to become free from this material entanglement from material uh, existence itself one strives to get out of material existence so one becomes very much uh, desirous of attaining liberation from material bondage this is called in the bhagavad gita siddhi perfection of the human form of life the civilized form of life human form of life so krishna says in the bhagavad gita now everything that is described in detail in terms of the vedic injunctions karma kanda jnana kanda karma kanda leads to jnana kanda jnana kanda leads to upasana kanda 
but gyanakanda is very difficult it's not very easy to ascertain that i am not this body i am something different from matter different from this body is very 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 difficult because gyanakanda consists of the vedanta portion of the vedas the conclusion of the vedas describing the reality or the truth as something non material and to realize or understand i am that something non material i am spirit is very very difficult so there are so many upanishads uh, corresponding to different uh, vedas that hundreds and hundreds of them are describing this nature of the soul the reality of the soul different from the body and helps a person who is called a jnani uh, one who is pursuing knowledge of the truth or the or the knowledge of the uh, absolute truth ultimate reality it actually leads to uh, distinguishing spirit from matter and completely give up all kinds of matter material possessions material uh, attachments to material situations give up material existence itself and try to prepare for entering into spiritual life spiritual existence but there is no much detail in the gyanakanda about actual description of spiritual life or spiritual existence itself after liberation nothing much is mentioned so therefore gyanakanda leads to upasana kanda or bhakti devotional service to krishna when one comes to the platform of bhakti through the gradual process a lot of time would have been spent because karma kanda is 99.999% of the vedas why because people have so many millions of varieties of desires so there are varieties of pious activities recommended to fulfill varieties of desires there are varieties of living conditions and varieties of upper planets beginning from the earth planet according to one's desires for enjoying materially in different ways there are different facilities different kinds of planets different kinds of living conditions different kinds of opulences material opulences now one has to qualify for each of those it's not that merely somebody learns about it and then says i'm going to get it no one has to actually perform the particular pious activity the particular vrata particular sacrifice a particular charity one has to give to a qualified brahmana or a qualified uh, uh, recipient of that uh, charity uh, so different kinds of varieties of planets different kinds of facilities different kinds of opulences so one can easily get carried away while pursuing karma kanda section of the vedas studying them or following them the vedic injunctions one can get 
actually carried away which krishna wants in the bhagavad gita right in the beginning yamimam pushpitam vacham pravadanti avipashitah those who are not so intelligent they are carried away by all these uh, vedic injunctions which promise enjoyment in different kinds of heavenly planets with different kinds of facilities with a very long duration of life so much so that the devatas are called amara amara literally means one who never dies though in one sense we are all amara as spirit soul we are deathless we don't die but as far as the body is concerned the body is definitely going to perish whether one has the body of a demigod body of a human being body of brahma it is going to perish it's just a question of time so relatively different types of bodies there is different life span so when one hears that devatas are amara deathless then one becomes very much excited that they have such nice facilities they have nice opulences they have so much power they are very pious they are nicely situated one becomes very much excited to become occupy one of the positions of the devatas to attain that post of a devata so much of different sacrifices different so indra for example as i started mentioning he has performed 100 ashwamedha yagnas and many other qualifications he has acquired to occupy that post of the king of the heavenly planets king of the heavenly planets so indra's post is certainly very difficult to attain but then he has done so much of uh, difficult uh, sacrifices he has performed he has undergone all the restrictions while one is uh, performing a sacrifice supposing a sacrifice lasts 48 days 48 days the eating the sleeping the activities everything is completely restrained if they are performing a sacrifice in which they can only take some milk that also uh, twice a day or once a day something like that they can't eat anything else then every every time every day they have to sleep only on a straw mat for only some number of hours when they are going to sleep when they are going to rise and what they are going to do immediately after rising so many rituals are involved take a bath then come sit down do this particular uh, ritual offer this particular ingredient in the fire and for that the brahmana has to chant the right mantra at every step they have to gradually make progression towards completion of the sacrifice and every step it has to be ensured that there is no mistake at all if there is a mistake there is a particular price chitta to correct that mistake they have to do something more they have to do some fasting they have to suspend the sacrifice they cannot just go on like that just like in a production line if they have to get a perfect product right if in between some defect is there they have to reject the defective part 
and deal with it separately or if some major assembly there is a problem that has to be corrected it cannot just go on like that so similarly to achieve the goal of successful completion of a sacrifice any mistakes in between by anybody that has to be corrected even the priest if he is not chanting the mantra properly there will be a referee priest uh, that referee priest will correct this priest by redoing the sacrifice by properly chanting the mantra so so many technical details are there in a vedic sacrifice therefore sri chaitanya mahaprabhu says that all these vedic sacrifices are not practical to be performed in kali yuga especially if somebody desires self realization if you want self realization then it is very 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 difficult to perform these uh, vedic sacrifices and attain self realization and that is not uh, practically possible for most of the people in kali yuga therefore chaitanya mahaprabhu says that harer naam harer naam harer naamaiva kevalam kalau nastyeva 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 gatiranyatha in kali yuga there is no other sacrifice other than the sacrifice of chanting the holy name now the sacrifice of chanting the holy name is particularly mentioned by krishna in the bhagavad gita yajnanam japa yajnosmi among all the types of yajnas krishna is represented particularly by the japa yajna japa yajna involves the sacrifice of chanting the holy name of krishna the supreme lord yajnanam japa yajnosmi and even in the kali santarana upanishad again the upanishads you see they are talking about the understanding or realizing that we are spirit and that the absolute truth is also completely spiritual by nature and we have to actually get out of this material existence or material entanglement and attain our spiritual nature in relationship with the supreme there is a whole process of yoga what's called as yoga yoga means propad in one verse by just giving one meaning to this word imam vivasvate yogam proktavanaham avyayam krishna summarizes the whole process of self realization through yoga by just this one verse he says this science of yoga i taught to the sun god millions of years back so shrila prabhupad says in the word for meaning imam vivasvate yogam yogam means the science of one's relationship with the supreme you see so in the bhagavad gita krishna has summarized everything that is required to be known by somebody who is desirous of the highest perfection in this human form of life that is to be attained uh, what is the process the most efficient process what are what are the different steps to be followed what is the real goal how to achieve that goal how quickly one can achieve that goal end of this life if somebody is desirous of the getting the highest uh, goal reaching the highest goal that krishna describes 
in the Bhagavad Gita. Tyaktva deham punarjanmanaiti mameti. In the Bhagavad Gita, he describes this. So, therefore, the entire Mahabharata, even though it is presenting dharma with all the intricacies of family life, of political life, of different kinds of duties to be performed by different kinds of people in different situations, uh, Brahmana dharma, Kshatriya dharma, Vaishya dharma, Shudra dharma, Brahmachari dharma, uh, Grahastha dharma, uh, Vanaprastha dharma, Sanyas dharma, Stri dharma, Raja dharma, Apad dharma, every kind of dharma is described in the Mahabharata with solid examples in the lives of great personalities who followed that, who practiced that. It is described, it is history, it is itihasa. With historical references, the dharma is described. So, what is the conclusion of all this uh, description of dharma in the Mahabharata with all the details. It's a very interesting story. It's a wonderful uh, presentation for people who are not inclined to study the Vedas, which are very, very technical and difficult to understand. Simply some set of injunctions uh, and the result of those, following those injunctions are given in the original Vedas. So, in Kali Yuga, people are not having time. Neither they are inclined to study the Vedas like that. So, the Itihasa is presented specially for people in Kali Yuga. But Kali Yuga is such that even this Itihasa called Mahabharata, which is especially presented for people in Kali Yuga, people are not inclined to study the whole of Mahabharata. Or they may miss out the real essence of Mahabharata. The conclusion of Mahabharata. Therefore, Vyasadeva especially has put that Bhagavad Gita in the Mahabharata. The essence of the teachings of Mahabharata is simply summarized in the Bhagavad Gita. And even in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna while <coughs> instructing Arjuna in that situation where Arjuna was confused about his duty. In all the scriptures, this is the important point. What is the duty of a human being. Even though the Vedas say so many duties, everybody's duties are described in the Vedas. Karma Brahmo Bhavam Vidhi Brahmakshara Samudbhavam. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says everyone should perform prescribed duties. That is what Krishna says is performance of sacrifice. In the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, you can become free from all reactions and become liberated simply by performing your work as sacrifice. To perform work as sacrifice, what should one do? One should simply follow the particular uh, uh, duties mentioned in the, in the Vedas uh, uh, for your particular position. So, the Vedas say, the human society, civilized human society should be divided into four varnas and four ashramas. And all civilized people fit into one of these four varna divisions and one of the four ashrama divisions. And then according to that, the scriptures prescribe certain duties. And those duties if one performs as sacrifice to Vishnu, then one can simply by performing one's duties, 
as sacrifice to Vishnu, achieve the highest perfection of ultimate liberation from material bondage. That's possible. But where are people inclined to follow the injunctions of the scriptures in terms of Varnashrama? In Kali Yuga, Varnashrama is very difficult to follow, very impractical. In a former age, it is possible. In Kali Yuga, it is very difficult. Therefore, Varnashrama system is not actually very practical to follow. Therefore, uh, uh, the scriptures say one should take to this direct process, not the gradual process. So, that is explained in the Bhagavad Gita and even in the Mahabharata, when Bhishma is instructing Yudhishthira, Yudhishthira asks one question after hearing about all the details of Dharma from Bhishma. Yudhishthira asks a question, which Dharma do you consider to be the topmost dharma. Ko dharma sarva dharmanam bhavata paramo mataha. And Bhishma's reply is the Vishnu Sahasranama. Simply chanting the holy names of the Supreme Lord Vishnu is the topmost dharma. Which is the same thing what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. Yajnanam japa yajnosmi. Of all the Yajnas, the best yajna, the topmost yajna is actually the chanting of the holy name of the Supreme Lord. So the same thing is given in all the scriptures. But we have to understand this from the right source. Otherwise one can get lost in the Mahabharata story or one may come to a wrong conclusion by hearing from an unauthorized person. Uh, some other conclusion. They come to so many uh, wrong conclusions by studying the Mahabharata. They don't come to the right conclusion. So the conclusion of the, of the Mahabharata is given in the Bhagavad Gita, in the form of Bhagavad Gita. In the Bhagavad Gita also Krishna says, Sarva dharman parityajya maamekam sharanam vraja. Now what does Sarva dharman parityajya mean? Somebody who was reading the Bhagavad Gita, uh, when I just joined this Krishna Conscious Movement 30 years back. So this one gentleman used to come to the temple. He was reading the Bhagavad Gita written by Prabhupada. So he came across this verse, Sarva Dharman Parityaja, and he said, something is wrong there. Because Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Dharma Samsthapanarthaya Sambhavami Yuge Yuge. I appear in every Yuga I incarnate for the sake of establishing Dharma. So why will Krishna say in the end of the Bhagavad Gita, 18th chapter, Sarva Dharman Parityajya, why will he say give up all dharma, all types of dharma? So he was thinking, actually there's this printing mistake. He said it should be Sarva Adharman Parityajya. I said no, 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 it is Sarva Dharman Parityajya only. So what is this Sarva Dharman Parityajya when Krishna has come to establish dharma? Krishna tells that you should perform your duty according to Vedic injunctions in third chapter. But what if there is difficulty in performing one's duties in the way it is recommended to be performed as sacrifice to Vishnu? If there is difficulty in performing one's duties and through that performance of duty offer sacrifice to Vishnu, then Krishna says, you can give up all such activities which are prescribed. In order to surrender to Krishna directly, 
without having to bother about performance of one's duties if there is any obstacle for surrender to krishna because i have got so many duties to perform by which i am not able to surrender to krishna krishna says you can directly surrender to me without worrying about non performance of your prescribed duties and what if there is some reaction because i didn't do my duties for that krishna says aham tvam sarva pape bhyomokshayishami mashuchah do not worry if in such surrender to me directly you are not able to do some duties and because of that there is some reaction i will free you from all those reactions you don't worry about those reactions you don't worry about those but krishna is not giving a blanket permission for everybody hey, don't bother about any duties or don't worry about any sinful reactions while you are doing some activities no that's not what krishna is telling there is no blanket permission for people to do sinful activities and simply make a show of surrender to krishna and say krishna will take care of all my sinful reactions no bhakti doesn't mean one can go on sinning and in the name of bhakti expect that krishna will actually purify me of all sinful reactions so no that's why while chanting hari krishna there is a, a a warning given that one who is chanting hari krishna does become free from all past sinful reactions but one should not commit sinful activities on the strength of chanting hari krishna what does it mean that anyway i am chanting every day even if i do some sinful activities by chanting the sinful reactions will be nullified so i don't have to worry about any sin that i may commit no that is not allowed by chanting hare krishna it is not that mechanically whatever sinful reactions i may have will be wiped out no it is only as a special consideration to encourage somebody who is surrender who is very desirous very eager to make quick advancement to the platform of krishna consciousness or devotional service that krishna encourages by telling that if you are engaged in devotional service exclusively then don't worry about any past sinful reactions i will take care of them of nullifying them but now onwards no more sinful activities not that because i am chanting anyway sinful reactions will be nullified by chanting so i can go on committing sin no that's why when shrila prabhupad gives diksha to any anybody serious about making advancement on the path of bhakti yoga one has to approach a bona fide spiritual master and take shelter and take initiation so this initiation involves taking vows so shrila prabhupad says you have to take two vows one is to chant hare krishna every day 16 rounds minimum to keep ourselves pure to keep ourselves uh, on the spiritual platform in touch with krishna through his holy name we have to chant minimum of 16 rounds of hare krishna every day and also we have to take a vow to abstain from all sinful activities especially four kinds of uh, pillars of sinful life in kali yuga meat eating intoxication 
illicit sex and gambling. We have to abstain from all sinful activities, especially these four. Means we should be particularly careful not to violate these four principles. No meat eating, no intoxication, no gambling, no illicit sex. Because Kali Purusha has taken shelter of these four places. Places where there is animal killing, places where there is gambling, places where there is illicit sex, places where there is intoxication going on. So because Kali Purusha has taken shelter of these four places, these four sinful activities, particularly in Kali Yuga, are to be avoided by everyone. So therefore, the uh, vows we take when we take Diksha is to avoid sinful activities, particularly these four, so that we don't become uh, affected by the powerful influence of this age called Kali. Kali Nashtadrishamesha Puranarko Adhunoditaha. The Bhagavatam says that Kali influence of Kali Yuga is such that people lose sight of the final goal of life. Uh, even while they are pursuing some pious activities, they lose sight of the ultimate goal. So, for such people to help them understand what is the real goal of life, the Srimad Bhagavatam has arisen like the sun to dispel the darkness, dense darkness of ignorance in this age of Kali. So, Bhagavatam clearly says the goal of life is Krishna. Vasudeva Paraveda, Vasudeva Paramaka, Vasudeva Paramgyan, Vasudeva Parantapa. Like that in this beginning itself of the Bhagavatam, it's stressed. Krishna is the ultimate goal of all sacrifices, all penances, all austerities, all study. Everything, Krishna is the goal. And in Bhagavatam, uh, Bhagavad Gita, just one line Krishna says, Vedaishya Sarvai Amaveva Vedya. From all the Vedas, I am to be done, means all Vedic processes, all Vedic sa sacrifices, all Vedic procedures, all Vedic injunctions aim at ultimately uh, attaining Krishna, realizing Krishna. So that has been simplified by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You simply chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, thereby perform this Japa Yajna or Sankirtan Yajna. There are two ways of performing this Yajna of chanting the holy name. One is this Japa where we chant and we hear and we count and we do a fixed number of times or we participate in Sankirtana where congregationally one person sings in a melodious way this Hare Krishna mantra and others follow. So with instruments a nice kirtan is performed and you join this kirtan. This is also yajna in this Kali Yuga, Sankirtan yajna. So Sankirtan yajna, Japa yajna the yajna of chanting the holy name is the recommended sacrifice. And we also should abstain from sinful activities, particularly four kinds of sins. No meat eating, no intoxication, no gambling, no illicit sex. So by this, very easily everyone can achieve perfection at the end of this life. In this very life you can attain perfection. So this is what is uh, taught by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the conclusion of the Bhagavad Gita, of the Bhagavatam, of the Vedanta Sutra, of all the scriptures. I'll stop here. Dantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki jaya, Srila Prabhupada ki jaya.